Tonight we're going to talk about something that I'm really excited about, and it's this fact. It's that God wants us to live wisely. He wants us to live lives that are disciplined, right, devoted to Him, and yet oftentimes we don't do that. We need an exhortation, a reminder, perhaps an example to point us in the right direction. Now, of all the creatures that God could give us as an example to follow, we might think he would give maybe a dolphin, right? Dolphins are uh, maybe known as the most intelligent animal. Or maybe a border collie, at least of man's best friend. They're the smartest in the dog family. Maybe an elephant, right? An elephant never forgets. That would be a wise example to follow. Um, But what creature is it that God points us to to follow as an example of wisdom. And I want to just get us headed in the right direction with an old movie clip from at least my childhood that's maybe from your childhood as well. Austin, could you throw that up there? Around the leaf? I, I, I don't think we can do that. Oh, nonsense. This is nothing compared to the twig of 93. That's it. That's it. Good. You're doing great. There you go. There you go. Watch my eyes. Don't look away. All right. So, anyone? What movie? Bugs Life. That's right. Bugs Life. I love that movie. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's interesting, right? that God points us to the ant to learn from. It's almost as though God wants to humble us in the process. He, he points us to the teeny, tiny, annoying insect. Ants are tiny. They're crushed underfoot all the time. Cars run over them at, a, at millions, probably a day. A single drop of rain engulfs an ant, and yet we're supposed to sit at the feet of the ant and learn? Friends, Before we're quick to rule out the ant, though, I just want to give a couple uh, fast facts about the ant. Although they're small and they only have 250,000 brain cells compared to our, like, 10 billion, um, they actually have the largest brain-to-body ratio, not just of any insect, but of any creature on Earth. The largest brain-to-body ratio. That's pretty impressive. That kind of makes up for that little mistake up there. Uh, Right? They go unnoticed. They're running around underfoot. But they're not just hanging out. These guys are hard at work, right? If you study ants, these guys are always gathering food, building the nest, raiding an enemy territory, uh, right? Have you guys seen the movie Ants? I almost put a clip from Ants up where they raid the termites and then get destroyed. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. So that was second place to this one. Okay, still though, we're supposed to learn from the ant. What is so unique about an ant that God's going to point us in Holy Scripture to learn from? Well, intrinsically wired into the ant's DNA as part of their makeup, as part of their character, you might say, 
they have a trait that should define humans as well. And unlike the ant, we have the option to forego that character trait. We can choose to do this, or we can choose not to do it. The ant just does it. And stated as a negative, what I'm talking about is this. I'm talking about anti-laziness. Stated positively, I'm talking about the character trait of diligence. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 6. If you open your Bible to about the middle, you'll be around Psalms or Proverbs. Proverbs right after Psalms. Proverbs chapter 6, and I want to sit at the feet of the ant and learn together this evening. Proverbs 6, I'll begin in verse 6. It says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways, and be wise, which, having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. So in our aspirations in this text to learn from the ants, I want to draw three things from the ant in particular to be gleaned. And the first is this. The first is that the ant is self-motivated. The ant is self-motivated. Again, the ant has an intrinsic level of self-motivation that makes them the busiest bugs on the block. Right? Try to say that five times fast. Busiest bugs on the block. All spring, summer, and fall, they scurry about the ground looking for food to bring back to their home base. No one's watching their every move. And although I don't know this, I would imagine that it's doubtful that there are disciplinary consequences for them being lazy. Right? I can't imagine that happening. Why? Because they're wired genetically in their DNA to just go. They have instincts that make them self-motivated. God tells us that by observing the ant in verse 6, we will be wise. Look again. Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways, and be wise. Okay, so we see here that wisdom can be gleaned from the ant. Now, as I think about wisdom from Scripture, we know that true wisdom culminates in the person of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 2.6, Paul spoke of a wisdom not of this age, nor of rulers of this age, but God's wisdom. And this wisdom, found in the pages of Scripture, we know culminates in understanding and knowing the person of Jesus Christ as your own Lord and Savior. And so that's the culmination of wisdom. But I want to ask this, this question. As a born-again Christian, practically speaking, can you choose to act foolishly? Right? Of course we can. Can you choose to walk in a manner not in accordance with wisdom? Of course you can. And so verse 6 is commanding the believer, not regarding salvation, but commanding the believer how to act wisely in the Christian life. And really what it's doing is it's giving us a pattern that if emulated will result in the individual being characterized by wisdom. Okay? You may say, okay, great. That's great. I want to learn how to be wise. I want to get this wisdom. But what does this look like? Specifically, what can I do to be wise? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 7. Which, referring to the ant, having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. You know, this makes me think of, uh, <laughs> we're talking about self-motivation. It makes me think of athletes. And there's really two types of athletes out there, if you ever played a sport. There's a type of athlete that will work hard when the coach is there. He or she will work hard when the team captain's there. They'll work hard when someone's driving them. And then there's a the type of athlete 
that it doesn't matter if the coach is there or their teammates are there or their captain's there, they're going to they're gonna work hard no matter what, right? And why is that? Because they're self-driven. They are self-motivated. Friends, the ant is wise because the ant is a self-motivated hard worker, which is in turn the quality for us to glean. Okay, I want to ask another question though. Where, for us, where does this self-motivation, self-determination come from? Is it just some sort of self-confidence? And I would argue strongly, no. We're not talking about self-confidence. We're not talking about self-dependence. But we're, what we're talking about is having confidence and dependence in God and in our unwavering commitment to Him. Okay, track with me for a moment. We work hard unto the Lord because our convictions are set in stone that we are here as God's representatives. We are here as God's workers. Therefore, on a vertical level, there's a sense in which our motivation comes from God. And yet, at an internal level, and looking at our peers, in a sense, we are self-motivated. As Christians, we need to be self-motivated. We need to be like the ant. And I think the 4th century theologian Augustine said it well when he said, pray as though everything depended on God and act as though everything depended on you. Therefore, the believer must be self-motivated, self-determined to work and to work and to work. And just as the ant doesn't need a fresh new kick in the rear every day, so we too must have our own drive. No one's going to be looking over your shoulder every day of your Christian life. We need to be self-motivated primarily due to this relationship, not due to any of these relationships. Tracking? In Philippians chapter 3, you can go there if you'd like, or just listen. Paul gives a human example of this you may be familiar with. Philippians 3, verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect or mature, but I press on so that I lay may hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Verse 13, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is our human example of self-motivation. And friends, just like the ant, we need to be self-motivated. Now in Proverbs 6, though, there's a second aspect of the ant that I want to draw attention to. And that is this. That is that the ant prepares for the future. Now to get a running start, I'll start in verse 6 again. Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, no officer or ruler prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. <laughs> Do you have plans? Do you have goals in your life? Now, we want to be careful. We don't want to be like those in James who boast about things they're going to do a year from now and all the profit they're going to make. But you know what, friends? It's good. It's good stewardship to have plans and to have goals with your time, with your money, with your resources, with your energy and efforts. And ants, believe it or not, are notorious for their preparation. They are well organized and run a tight colony, always preparing for the next big storm, both literally and figuratively speaking. Uh, adding to our ant theology, Proverbs 30 verse 25 says, the ants are not a strong people, yet they store up their food in the summer. Okay, here's something interesting regarding this topic, preparing for the future. Ants and bears, okay, two unlikely creatures you'd put side by side. 
Although the ant is tiny and the bear is mighty, what do they both have in common? Right? They both prepare for the future because they both hibernate. And let me ask this question. If either the ant, although they're this big, and the bear, who's huge, if either of them fail to do their work ahead of time in the spring, summer, and fall, will they reap the consequences? Oh, yeah. They'll be, you're either going to have a really, really hungry bear come next spring, or you're going to have a dead bear sitting in a cave somewhere, right? And the same goes for the ant. If, they either, if either one of them fail, they reap immense consequences. And you know what, friends? This is not all that different from what our perspective in the Christian life ought to be. Yes, with material planning, finances, time management, maybe you want to go to college to put yourself in a position to get a better job. But even more so, this should be our perspective spiritually in our walks with the Lord. We should always be preparing for the future. This was Paul's own perspective, and I do want you to turn to this one now. Turn to the New Testament to see Paul's perspective on this, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's the seventh book in your New Testament. And here we're actually going to see Paul teach a crucial lesson on discipleship. And I want to note Paul's eye to the future in this passage. Starting in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10, Paul says, According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each, man's, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. Okay, let's pause. So here Paul, just to get our bearings straight, he's talking about discipling an, a younger individual in the faith. And to provide an illustration, he speaks of a master builder building a house. And a master builder in this day and age would have been the architect, the engineer, and the builder. So you step back, you draw up the plan, you carry out the plan, you're everything. Okay? This was the master builder. And so he's talking about discipleship. Let's continue, verse 11. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so here's the scenario. A person has believed in Christ, right? That is the foundation. And in fact, if they haven't believed in Christ with all their, and only in Christ with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, if they haven't put their trust only in Christ plus nothing else, if you were here last Sunday, Jesus alone, then they're a born-again Christian, and that's the foundation. Nothing else is a foundation. It's a fake foundation. Only that's a true foundation. But from that point forward, it is a crucial time of development. And I'm talking to you guys as disciples and disciplers. As you begin to disciple someone, it's really going to define what type of man or woman is being formed and set the course for their earthly life. And so what sort of perspective do you think the master builder has to have as he's building this house? Or let's carry the analogy through. What sort of perspective does the discipler have to have as he's building into another individual? What, what type of building is going to be built? And verse 12 answers this question. He says, Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, and then verse 13, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Here, Paul really hits on so many aspects of discipleship. This is a rich passage on it, on church planting, on discipleship. But I want to hone in on one implication, and that implication is this, is that what sort of perspective must be acquired by the master builder? 
Well, the master builder, friends, must be focused on the end of it all. The master builder, as he builds the house, must be thinking of the fire that is to come and how he's going to build in light of that fire. Is it not the same with our lives? Right? We must invest into ourselves and into others, and we must do so carefully because only the accurately taught truths and principles of God's Word are going to remain. Those things that are instilled into ourselves and others must be done so with an eye to the future when both faith and character are going to be, are going to be tested. Right? There's going to be many tests on earth. There's going to be a big test at the end where ourselves and all those we've invested in are going to be evaluated, and only that which is in accordance with truth is going to remain. And so, we see we're not all that different from the ant, are we? We have to have our eye to the future, right? The ant is going to incur a brutal winter. So we too and our disciples will incur trials. And ultimately, we will all stand before the Lord and be laid bare. Only that which is in accordance with truth will remain. All else will disappear. Will disappear. And in the spiritual sense, friends, our interactions with believers, with unbelievers, whether we're sharing our faith, discipling, evangelizing, we must do it with our gaze set on the end. We've got to have an eternal perspective as we go through the Christian life. Here's the problem. Okay? The problem is not that there's not a harvest coming. Okay? What did Jesus say in Matthew 9.37? He said not only is a harvest coming, but it's plentiful. The problem is not that the end is not coming. The problem is that there's not enough willing and able workers to go out right now and do the work. So friends, we have to adopt this harvest mindset, this eternal mindset, the mindset of the ant of looking to the future and living now accordingly. Back to Proverbs chapter 6. Back to Proverbs 6, we see the third principle to be gleaned from the life of the ant, and that is that the ant works hard. I'm going to read these three verses again. Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. You want to know something crazy? <laughs> Ants are not just hard workers. Ants are extremely hard workers. Get a load of this. An ant can lift an object, probably food or a piece of shelter, can lift an object above their head I want to make sure I get this right. 100 times their body weight. Okay? And they can withstand forces. Imagine me laying down and then a bunch of weight pushing on me. They can withstand forces up to 5,000 times their body weight. These are tough little boogers. Okay? Now let's put this into human terms. That would be like me lifting 18,000 pounds above my head and walking six miles, setting it down, taking a 25-second nap, picking it up, 18,000 pounds back, six miles again. That would be the equivalent. I'm an engineer. I did the math, okay? That's the equivalent. Listen, guys, this is the life of an ant. They do this day in, day out. They take a quick power nap, 25 seconds, get up, do it again. They'll wander up to 100 yards from their nest, right? You saw them on the, don't lose the line. If you lose the line, it's bad news, right? But they'll wander that line up to 100 yards from the, from the nest. Well, these are incredible workers, and friends, we are called to be the same. We are called to be incredible hard workers. No, not lifting things above our head. No, not power walkers or power nappers for that matter. 
But yes, we are called to be hardworking men and women, spiritually and in life in general. Not just spiritually. In life in general, we are to be characterized by hard work. Proverbs 18, verse 9 says this, The one who is truly lazy in his work, this one who is truly lazy in his work, is a brother to a vandal. Colossians 3.23, Andy taught on it last, last week, Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. You get the picture. As the pinnacle, friends, of God's creation, and as his representatives on earth, we have a duty, but also immense motivation to work hard for his name's sake. Think about it. The ant doesn't even have that motivation. The ant just works hard because that's the way they are. It's in their genes. It's in their DNA. I was made to do this, so that's what I do. We have such a draw as being God's representatives, his vice regents here on earth, to work hard unto the Lord. (laughs) Well, you tired of getting taken to school in terms of our character from the ant yet? I kind of was as I was studying this. So I wanted to look to a human example. (laughs) Turn to Proverbs 31. Proverbs chapter 31. The excellent wife is, yes, a good example of an excellent wife. The excellent wife is an incredible example of a hard worker. I'm going to read this passage. Proverbs 31, verse 10. An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She's like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. Sound familiar? She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. She stretches out her hand to the needy. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. Let's pause there. Do we even see a hint of laziness here? If you're like me, I'm like overwhelmed. I'm like, this is a busy woman, right? She's doing all sorts of stuff. And really, guys, this is a fitting end to the book of Proverbs, a book that's been talking about the way of the wise versus the way of the foolish, the way of the hard worker and the diligent versus the way of the sluggard and the lazy. And so we see in Proverbs 31, this woman is first and foremost a worker. She is hardworking, not for her own sake, but for the sake of others and really for the sake of her family. Not only is she hardworking, but with this same sacrificial heart, she looks to the future and plans for the future. Verse 16, I'll highlight it again. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. And this isn't just happenstance day trading, right? This excellent wife makes calculated decisions. She's thinking long-term. She has goals. She considers the field. Then she progresses toward the goal, and she purchases the field. You see the scenario happening. That's preparation. And in verse 25, the result of this preparation is, look at verse 25, she smiles at the future. And I want to ask, friends, can you 
say that along with the excellent wife, that you smile at the future because you have prepared for it. Now to cap this off, verse 27 says, she does not eat the bread of idleness. And really to explain the summary Uh, To explain in summary form the character of the excellent wife, what we see is that she's not lazy. She does not eat the bread of idleness. She is not lazy. And you want to know what the result of this hardworking woman's efforts are? Look at verse 28. It says, Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord... She shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Guys, what a wonderful display here. Yes, of an excellent wife, but even more generally, of a hardworking person. There's no idleness, there's no laziness, but diligence and hard work, which, if you caught this, ultimately stem from the fear of the Lord. Look at verse 30. Right? It mentions the fear of the Lord at the end of this passage, in a sense, characterizing everything we've just looked at. In other words, all of who this excellent wife is and all of what she does stems from the fact that she fears the Lord. She's hardworking. Why? Because she fears the Lord. She wants to be pleasing to Him. And I want to ask this. According to Proverbs 9, what is the fear of the Lord the beginning of? Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right? It's the beginning of wisdom. Friends, take heed to the excellent wife. She walks in wisdom. And that's exactly what we're supposed to learn from the ant, is how to be wise. And you notice from this wife, she lives a life that's demonstrated by hard work. She lives a life demonstrated by diligence. She lives a life demonstrated with an eye to the future, just like the ant. And so I want to flip back to Proverbs 6 now. And now we're going to shift from the ant, to the antithesis of the ant, which is the lazy person, or also known as the sluggard. Verse 9, How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And we'll pause there. Okay, this sluggard uh, is also translated lazy man, or I love this translation, lazy bones. I'm going to refer to him as lazy bones from now on. So this lazy bones, right? In any case, lazy bones here is a lazy person that lays around and accomplishes nothing. He lays in his bed. He sleeps well into the day. Maybe gets up at some point, but then lays back down, takes another nap. There's no drive. There's no work ethic. There's no planning of the future. There's no self-motivation. And while Proverbs 31 gives an example of diligence to follow in The Excellent Wife, Proverbs 26, I actually want to flip there as well, gives an example, as another quick tangent, it gives an example of laziness to avoid. Proverbs 26, this is so good, guys. I hope you're you're enjoying jumping around Proverbs. It was fun for me. Look at verse 13 in chapter 26. It says, "The, The sluggard says, or the lazy bone says, there's a lion in the road. A lion is in the open square. And just a brief comment here, in contrast to a hard-working man, I would imagine that a hard-working man, a man who was not lazy, would jump up to his feet, grab his sword, run out to the middle of the road, and be ready to defend his family, his town, the women, the children, right? He's willing to get up and engage 
and do something about the problem. But what do we see from this sluggard? What do we see from Mr. Lazybones here? Well, the sluggard says, oh, look, there's need of a few good men to go out there and defend our women and children from this ferocious beast, but I'm too busy eating Cheetos and watching the football game. Right? That's essentially what we have. Look at verse 14. It says, or at the end of verse 13, a lion is in the open square. Verse 14, as the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. And so although there's work to be done, he rolls over and takes another nap, remains in his vegetative state. Right? You guys getting the picture here? And you want to know what's sad though, friends? Here's the thing. This is kind of funny, but here's the sad reality. This makes me think of our generation. 20 to 30-year-olds in America today, right? 20 to 30-year-olds in America today, some things are difficult. Some things take work. They take effort, and it's so easy in our culture. If you don't want to do the work, do you have to do it? Not really. There's about 100 ways around it if you don't want to do it, right? How many times do you even have a moment of energy and ambition, and you make a list, and you want to get it accomplished only to give in to apathy and watch TV? I don't need to do that list. I can do that list later. Oh, man, I should probably go do this job, but oh, I'll do it later. Friends, I want to forewarn you, the life of the sluggard is not one that's desirable. Due to sluggardness, the lazy person lulls his body into a dormant mode where any previous motivation is stripped and given in to mere apathy. I mean, I'm talking bodily and chemically speaking. Does it not help if you get up and do something? If you've ever been down because of an injury or out for some reason, flattened on a bed, all you want to do is get up just to feel better, right? It actually helps you to do something and work, and yet the sluggard soon finds himself in a downward spiral because the motivation is sucked away due to laziness. And if you've been a lazy person for a period of time, you find yourself in a deep hole that can potentially be hard to get out of. Depression, suicidal thoughts, and maybe to escape this depression, you turn to some form of alternative reality. One where you don't actually have to do anything or see anybody, but where you can still experience success and maybe a hologram of fulfillment. What am I talking about? I'm talking about things like video games, right? I'm talking about things like reality TV shows. Things that aren't really real, but you gain some sort of false fulfillment from them. Well, then this can progress to things like social media creeping or stalking living other people's lives through them and gaining fulfillment through it. And these sort of things are really characterizing the trait of laziness that has now taken hold and is pulling this person down into the pit. Are you tracking? The lazy man sits around and does nothing, doesn't work hard, doesn't labor, doesn't grow tired and engage in normal life. And in fact, returning to verse 15 now, it says the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He's weary of bringing it to his mouth again. Eating now becomes a hobby instead of a necessity, instead of a means of survival. And you know people like this, right? Maybe you've been there yourself, where you eat for pleasure rather than for need. But you know, friends, this isn't even the end. It gets even sadder, in my opinion. The result of this unproductive soul, catch this, it's pride. It's actually pride. The result of being lazy and doing nothing physically is actually pride. Look at verse 16. It says, The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. Here's the idea. 
as the sluggard begins to realize their unproductive state physically, their bodies don't do anything, they're worth nothing, they begin to compensate for it and they elevate their intellect, their mind, their opinion. They elevate their view of their own wisdom. And it's this kind of attitude, friends, that makes this person not only a sluggard, but you want to know what else? It makes them a fool. It makes them a fool. Students, do you see the seriousness of this topic? Laziness is not something to be messed with. It'll take your body and it will take any productivity right away from you. Rob your motivation, suck you down into the sinkhole so fast you won't even know what happened. And I promise you, it will destroy your life. It will destroy your life. And really, you want to see the effects of laziness? Here's an example. Be around someone who smoked pot for a while, right? Go hang around someone, and I don't recommend for a long time, but observe someone who's been smoking marijuana for a while. To be honest, I would imagine marijuana doesn't really change all that much. But you want to know what it does do? It robs, ap- it robs motivation. It robs drive. It robs diligence. And it sets in apathy. And that's the mark of someone who's lazy. They're apathetic. They sit around. They don't care. They don't actually do anything. Friends, our, our ex- exhortation tonight is to flee laziness. Be a hard worker. Be diligent. Be wise. Now back to Proverbs 6. There's one more lesson to be gleaned from this passage. I want to consider the consequences of laziness, although we've been doing that. Finally, in Proverbs 6, verse 11, it says, Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. So not only does one experience all the hardship, or potentially could, not every scenario, but it may very well lead to everything we just discussed. In addition, though, this text tells us that the sluggard soon finds themselves in need of our most basic needs, Right? Here's the thing, not only is this not desirable in terms of a lifestyle, it's not even sustainable. Food, which costs money. Clothes, which costs money. Water and electricity, which costs money. In our culture, a lot of people drive a car, which costs money. All these things cost money. And does money grow on that tree or that tree or that tree? No. Money comes from work. You have to work in order to live. (laughs) Proverbs 21, verse 25, a slacker's craving will kill him because his hands refuse to work. Proverbs 13, verse 4, the slacker craves yet has nothing. Proverbs 20, verse 4, the slacker does not plow during planting season. At harvest time he looks and there's nothing. Right? Again, this lifestyle is not only undesirable, it is not sustainable. You cannot go on and not work. And here's what's going to happen in our generation and in our culture. We're going to have a lot of people who are homeless. We're going to have a lot of people who are on government support. And we're going to have a lot of people living with their parents into their 30s. Aren't we? Friends, learn from the Scriptures tonight, please. Learn from the Scriptures not to be lazy. Now, in closing, this really ends our series on discipline and dependence. God's grace and man's pursuit in the Christian life. And I want you to just reflect introspectively here, not on just tonight, but even going back through what series you've, or what sermons you've been at. And I want to ask you these questions. Have you changed from it? Have you changed from this series this summer? Have, you, have there been any radical differences that could be observed from an outside onlooker into your life? 
applied the principles from this summer into your life through discipline? Have you applied even one principle into your life from this series? Guys, this entire message tonight is an exhortation not to procrastinate and put it off. In a word, don't be lazy, right? I'm thinking of the verse in James, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. We're talking about sin. I think of a quote in Pastor Dave's office. It says, you are today who you are becoming. In other words, change doesn't just happen. It must be sought after. And so I'm talking whether at work, at home, at school, Physically, spiritually, altogether, we cannot be lazy people. We've got to be people in life who are characterized by hard work. And me and you, we've all been given a will. Therefore, we've got to use it. God's given us a will and the ability to discipline and run after something. And that's the exhortation from Scripture when it comes to the spiritual disciplines. Yes, with dependence on God, but oh man, with all the discipline that's within your soul. Now, I've given you a space at the bottom of the sheet to write out some goals or resolves coming off of this series. And guys, we've really covered some wonderful truths this summer. I've been blessed by the teaching. Have you? Man, there have been some great truths. If you missed some of them, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to them. There have been some, some wonderful things to apply to our lives. And again, just to hit it from another angle, here's the principle from Scripture, is that we must not merely be hearers, but we must be doers. We must be doers of the word. I want to leave you with one verse and I want to close for and bow for about 30 seconds to give you some time, then I'm going to pray. And here's the verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Friends, may this be true of our lives today and every day until the Lord brings us home. Now, will you just bow your heads and close? And I want you to pray on your own for about 30 seconds to a minute, and then I'm going to close us in prayer. Father, what a thing. <laughs> what a thing that you can take us to school from the ant, Lord. Uh, God, much to learn from the tiny little creature. Uh, God, in one sense, I'm excited. I'm excited in my own life to pursue further discipline, God, to work harder, to prepare better. Lord, in another sense, I'm, I'm scared because I know, Lord, I, I need you. We all need you, God, in this pursuit of the Christian life. Father, there's, there's an aspect in which we're grateful for your word. Of course, we're grateful for it. It teaches us, it instructs us, it motivates us, it points us in the right direction. It gives us all we need pertaining to life and godliness. God, what a thing. But another sense is frightening about your word, God, is that now we know. <laughs> now we know. We have no excuse. We can't plead ignorance, God. We've been instructed. We've been taught all summer and again tonight, Lord, from your word. And again, to the one who knows what is sin and yet does not do it, to him that is 
sin. Or sorry, the one who knows what he ought to do and does not do it, to him that is sin. And Lord, we've heard from your word tonight. I pray, God, for our hearts and souls that you would stir us in a spiritual way to live disciplined lives, God. To live lives that are marked by hard work, by preparing for the future. Lord, that are self-motivated in, a, in an aspect that doesn't need motivation from other humans. Lord, make us these type of men and women. We're not like this on our own. We need your grace in our lives. We need the work of your Spirit to form in us convictions that are vertically based, that are based on our relationship with you from your Word, God, that drive us in our life, Lord. Yes, spiritually. Yes, in our time in the Word and in prayer and in fellowship and all these wonderful truths we heard this summer. But also, Lord, in life, that as we work mowing lawns or fixing toilet seats, as we heard a couple weeks ago, or whatever we're doing, God, that we would do so as hard working as we can, Lord, because we have been bought by you and we serve you now. Thank you, Father, for this group, their commitment to you, their commitment to be here on a Wednesday night. Lord, we pray that this series would bear fruit, and we pray for our upcoming series, that you would bring many people uh, to our gathering, God, not for our sake, but for the sake of your name. God, that they would hear the gospel as we're going to be studying this fall. And, Lord, that they would hear it, that they would repent and believe and have new life in you. God, for believers, that we would love you all the more, that we would love the gospel, Lord, that we would live lives that are reflective of it. Lord, thank you for the people here at Cross Life. Lord, they encourage me, they exhort us all. Uh, Lord, the body works that way. It encourages and exhorts one another. Thank you, Lord, for the body. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.